This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we are here again to talk about films again. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I mean, considering. How are you? <laughs> considering it's the holidays. Um, I'm okay. I'm feeling okay about the holidays. Um, yeah. I uh, realized yesterday that we have at least... I think I have, I think we both do, but I have like a chunk of time off, like completely off. Um, and, uh, I am so excited by this in a way that I don't think I've ever been excited about time off ever before. I am right there with you. I currently have three jobs and all of them. Are off. I don't have to do like we're gonna do our recording early. We're gonna have episodes, guys. Don't worry. But don't we're worry. gonna do our recording early. Um, my TV writing job is I'm off for two weeks, and the book I'm writing, um, I'll be turning in the first draft by December 21st. Yeah, I honestly don't understand how it is possible that I feel busier and have been busier since quarantine. I think it's just because there's no breaks to the day yeah. as much as there used to be. So it can't even like, you know, go outside and like take a walk, you know, with my coworkers to like blow off steam. It's like really just like, I'm just sitting in a chair working forever. Yeah. And so now I'm like, Oh my God, there's like a week where I literally have to do none of my jobs. I'm so excited. I like freaking out. And of course, as you know, as we talked about last week, I have so many episodes of The Crown to watch. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, you're going to be knee deep in the royal fam. (laughs) Yeah, I am very, very, very excited. I felt like that's what quarantine was going to be like. And then everyone's like, oh, no, you're still working and you're still doing. I'm like, all right, that's cool. I can still do that stuff. But like, I like having the the, the delineation between hours now that I have kind of an office job because I know when to go to lunch instead of just waking up and being like it's four o'clock why didn't I eat I have a headache so (laughs) like that so next week is going to be bad in that regard like I'm going to be sick I'm sure (laughs) because (laughs) I'm just going to be waking up with headaches um Mm. but yeah I'm I'm so excited to just have I like having time to myself I knit I crochet I you know I really enjoy having time to myself and I, I watch all I catch up on all my shows because sometimes it's hard to watch TV when you're writing TV. Well, for me, it is. I mean, it must be like, it's kind of how I feel about movies where I'm like, oh, I thought I think about and talk about movies all day. What do I watch when I'm just like chilling? Uh, but I typically watch a lot of TV. So for right. you, what do you how, what do you watch? I've seen a lot. And usually when I'm when I'm on a show and I'm writing for TV, I tend to watch things I've already watched and want to watch again because mm-hmm. it's. 
it's also, I've again, <laughs> talked to my therapist a lot about this. It's also like a, a an anxiety thing. So yeah. if I'm watching something that I know what's going to happen, I don't, I can zone out a little bit more and not be stressed. Um, so I watch a lot of things I've already watched. Um, but mostly, as we discussed last week, I watch a lot of British TV and I watch a lot of British game shows. I watch a lot of, you know, kind of panel shows and um stand up and yeah that's kind of my go-to and I will say there is a lot on Netflix and Hulu that you can access if you're looking for any kind of British comedy that you can just laugh and get out of your own head for a minute I'm going to recommend anything that Greg Davies has ever done anything like I came to him through his stand-up and through his appearance on a lot of panel shows but there's a show on Netflix called Man Down that he wrote and and is in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a another show called Cuckoo uh, that's very funny. And Andy Samberg is in the first season of that, interestingly enough. But yeah, I just I think he is so funny and so and he's also very kind. He's a very kind person. But he his comedy is rooted around the insanity of his family and how hard it is to be middle aged. And those are just like the two major buttons I'm working with. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I feel like I can relate to that as well. You will be able to relate. And it's just, it's funny. I mean, his, his family is nuts. And his mom, when he talks about his mom and his dad, it's just very, very, very funny. So if you really want to get into Greg Davies, um, I would highly recommend that you look up a clip called Milky Cow on YouTube right now uh, from the very wonderful show, Would I Lie to You? Absolutely hilarious. All of his appearances on What I Lied to You are very funny. Um, But there are a lot of UK shows that I just really love, like um, People Just Do Nothing, QI, Travel Man with Richard Ayoade, Big Fat Quiz. Oh, love him. Yeah. Um, The Big Fat Quiz of the Year, uh, which they put out at the end of every year. So look for that if you can. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a show on Hulu that's called Game Face, uh, stars uh, Royston Connedy. She's hilarious. And then uh, Greg Davies also hosts a show called Taskmaster, which is a game show where five comedians are set all of these different things to do and they get scored and judged on them and it's hilarious and absurd and just takes you right out of your head and makes you laugh. I'm furiously writing all of these things down uh, because that's an amazing list. Honestly, like, Maybe on the other ends of the spectrum of everything that you've just talked about. Um, so like April and her husband, Martin, like they were like telling me about the show. Like the last time they were at my place in L.A., they were telling me about this insane TV show that I had never heard of before. I think it's called Naked Attraction. Oh, Yeah. I mean, I was like, they showed me some clips and this is a show that's coming on primetime, I'm assuming, where it's basically like a a person comes on, a contestant comes on and has to choose from like three different people to date and they only see their naked bodies from like the neck down, no faces. Yeah, And it is insane because the best part about it is that these are like normal everyday people who show up with their naked ass bodies. This isn't always like some hot model, which is invariably what would happen if it was an American show. Like they would take that British show and make it literally like just 
you know, it'll be naked 18 year olds. Yeah, exactly. But you're absolutely right. And here's the thing. We have a show here called Naked and Afraid that is about going to it's one of my grandma's favorite shows. That's how I know about it. (laughs) And it's about dropping. (laughs) Of course it is. She 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 actually gets upset with me if I interrupt her during something called Naked and Afraid XL, apparently. What is that? It's like a, a an extended version of the regular show, but they drop naked people in these really, you know, intense weather conditioned places and just they're like, all right, you can survive here for a couple of weeks and you win. And I'm like, all right. I would call any show, any dating show where you have to see my naked body in a box first, Naked and Afraid. Like Naked and Attraction (laughs) is a good name, but Naked and Afraid is so much more apt. (laughs) I would not, I would be just afraid. I wouldn't even make it like they, like I'd show up to the set. They would say, okay, you have to, you know, take your fourth cardigan off. And I'd be like, nope. Uh, I have, I have, I must, I simply must leave. I cannot be on this television show. Oh, you're like a never nude from Arrested Development. Oh my God. When I, when I see those episodes, I'm like, I couldn't even wear the booty shorts. Forget it. Like, I can't tell you the last time I wore shorts. Come on. In this economy, in this economy, I'm out here wearing shorts. I realize that no one... Most people did not grow up intensely Catholic as I did. So there you go. I am a person who, again, when I moved here, I don't own shorts. So I was sweating through the summer already in my full, full jeans and hoodie, (laughs) which is what I consider light wear, like a light layering look. (laughs) My upper arms or ankles. Nothing from the upper arms to the ankles has seen the sun since 1996. I know. It's like when you watch like those episodes of Seinfeld and you see Elaine Bettis wearing like entire outfits that are like skirts down to the floor. Yes. Uh, long sleeve shirts with like a Victorian collar. And I'm just like. And a vest. And a vest. And then an overcoat over it if it's wintertime. And I'm like, that's how I should dress. I should that's dress like Elaine Bennis for sure. Laura Ashley, floor length Laura Ashley only. Yes. Is what we're going for in 2021. <laughs> See, that's why the 90s was such our era. Because I was just like, oh, yeah, you could definitely like layer on the clothes, the flannels and the cardigans and the long dresses. Yes. Oh, jeans under a dress? Yeah, do that. (laughs) Put full pair of jeans on under a dress. It's like if you're wearing something cute, you have to wear a baggy flannel over it. It's just the way it goes. And you can wear tights under shorts. Come on. Let's go. I'm going to be that lady in the the nursing home with black tights, denim cut off (laughs) booty shorts. That's the only way you're going to get me in booty shorts is that there's a pair of opaque black tights beneath them. Doc Martens. Four t-shirts on. <laughs> You're gonna be smelling your uh Elizabeth Arden sunflowers from down the hallway. That is I'm I hope the whole home that I'm in is filled with that. Just a bunch of <laughs> derelict 90s weirdos in like flat no nurse will ever be able to take my blood because she has to roll up the sleeves of like eight t-shirts to get to me. <laughs> She's like, this is ridiculous. You're fine. I'm just wearing a wetsuit under all these clothes just because. Because I'm I'm full of beans today. 
You're like, it's fine. I'll just point the shower hose directly into the suit. And that's how I get clean. Slosh some soap in there, slosh around, and I'm clean. <laughs> What's up? To circle it back around, naked attraction. I No, that is terrifying to me. And not because of my body. There's a, a lot of judgment coming out of the pube area. <laughs> that, would, that would decide a lot of dates for me. Like, you trimming down there? What's going on down there? You paying attention? How <laughs> well, them balls look? <laughs> oh, my God. I have, like, no words for anything. <laughs> it's a lot. It's overwhelming. You need the dating part to deal with the balls part. Right? <laughs> like, if I like you and you read good books and you're funny, your balls could look like a werewolf and it's all right. <laughs> If I'm meeting the werewolf first and then I'm like, well, he's cute, but goddamn them balls. Well, I know. But listen, you skew old, as we know now, after watching Nobody's Fool, realizing yeah. that that was basically pornography to you. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> presumably you've got it in your mind to be prepared for that situation down there. You know what I mean? You can never prepare for that situation, <laughs> Millie. Let's talk about old brains mainly your old brain i'm worried about it yeah are you worried about it slightly um partially because my grandmother like had uh a little bit of dementia before she passed away i think a lot of that was attributed to the fact that she was an immigrant that never learned how to read and she had a third grade education so um I just assume that had she had certain skills, she probably would have kept kept the brain up a little bit more. Right. However, I am always desperately afraid of losing memories and just because of like movies, simply because of movies I've watched. I have an irrational fear of it. Let's just say that on top of the actual fear, which is that age will come for us all but um exactly what how do you feel i'm i'm that is that is the part of getting old that scares me it's not the body stuff it's not the long balls it's that like like alzheimer's and dementia runs in my family and so like my great grandma had it and you know she died when i was 22 so she was you know pretty pretty with it for most of my life and then to kind of watch her not remember my name was scary. My grandma has dementia. Um, hers, you know, she still has loose, mostly lucid days, but she definitely um, is starting to forget short-term things. Like yeah. her memories are all intact for long-term stuff, thankfully. But it's hard to watch her because I feel like there is going to be a day where she doesn't know who I am and that's going to be devastating. And, you know, I don't know enough about these illnesses to know I mean, you can't prevent them and you can't cure them. So I just don't know what to do. So I do a lot of brain games. Explain that to me. Because I, I have certain ones that I do that like I feel like like I do the New York Times. Uh, I have the New York Times crossword puzzle app, but I never do the hard ones. I only do the <laughs> mini ones. Because like, let's get serious. Like, I'm not that smart. Like, I can do the minis in like a minute, right. but I'm not. I'm not good enough to do a big one. Yeah, I I don't fuck with New York Times crossword because I don't want to be frustrated. I just want to make sure I'm not going senile. 
Yeah. You know? and plus so it, like, it requires you to know a lot about things that are happening now, which is like, I don't know YouTube stars and shit. Like, come on, I'm not oh. answering a crossword about this. But yeah, like I, I do. You know what I love is those um, the crossword puzzles that you get at like the drugstore when you're at the checkout counter, the little tiny books. Oh, yeah. The books. The, those are love so those. comforting to me, like the Sudoku ones and all that. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. I love a Sudoku book. I love a crossword. Just give me I think the company is Dell. Give me a Dell puzzle book and I'm, mm. I'm solid. I love them. But I also do. Um, so I do. I usually do a crossword or a Sudoku or something. Um, before I go to bed every night. And then um, I do, my brain games are mostly memory games. So just out of nowhere, I decided to start memorizing Shakespearean soliloquies. What? And monologues. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Because I'm like, you know, like now's winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the sun of York and all the clouds that loud upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Like I'll just memorize a whole thing. Oh my God. And that's like, people you can't see my face right now but i'm like floored i'm floored by this information i'm floored by this activity and what you just did yeah i just pick a play and just like all right you know i'll memorize that one so that's kind of what i do i pick pick one usually for like a like a half a year takes me to like really really nail it but i also i think i can still do it i memorize all 50 states and i think i can still say them in alphabetical order in under 30 seconds. Should we try sometimes it, I'm in the shower. Yeah, I do it sometimes in the shower. Um, we can try it. People will think I'm reading off of it, though. Well, shit, let's... Lauren, where are you? <laughs> Time this bitch. <laughs> okay, let me shut down. Let me just get... Zoom only is on my screen. I'm not reading anything. I will even close my eyes if that helps. Yes, I, I can attest to maybe that being the case, although I can't see your hands. You're oh. shifty. Okay. I'm sh- <laughs> if my eyes are closed and you can't see my hands, what does that prove? <laughs> I don't know. I'll show them. I'll show them. Hang on. Let me get. All right. I'll show my hands. I'll close my eyes. Can you see my eyes? I'll take my glasses off so you can see my eyes. Yeah. Get okay. that cat to uh, vouch that you're not. I'm kidding. <laughs> Carrot, where are you? <laughs> All right. Ready? All right. Three, two, one, go. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. Wow. 23 seconds. What? (laughs) Did we shatter the record? Now, here's Are the you thing. the micro machines guy? What's going on? <laughs> I'm the new micro machines guy. But here's the thing: all this could be futile. Thank you, Lauren, for timing me. By the way, yes, thank um, you, Lauren. All of this could be futile because I could end up with dementia or Alzheimer's in a home just reciting the fucking states and reciting fucking King Lear and doing crosswords. It doesn't. It's not going. It might not stop anything. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's. I guess the tragedy of life right is that you yeah. can be like this incredibly smart person and then just age just fucks you right up you know but you could also be like what are those people that ends up on the today show during the like smuckers section where <laughs> they said danielle henderson is a vibrant 107 today folks and guess what she can name all the states in 23 seconds she did it on a podcast 50 years ago or whatever oh, like you never know <laughs> 
As much as you we're sitting know. here going like, oh, but you know, it could end up good. Admit that. I'm going to, I'm going to hope for the best and hope that I'm at least keeping some of it at bay. But I do frequently find myself in my kitchen, like holding a pair of tongs and not understanding what I was going to do next. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I mean, that's just exhaustion though. That's COVID <laughs> exhaustion. That has nothing to do with like your brain capacity or your, your memory. It's, it's just simply being exhausted from our current, you know, situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm going to take it easy on myself. I'm going to be nice to myself and I'm just going to hope for the best and keep memorizing shit. Why are your brain games so classy? I don't like, <laughs> why, do I, why don't I do? Cl- now I'm like, I'm a piece of shit. Like, I don't, res- shit. like I don't even, I gotta be honest. When I, when you were doing that Shakespeare bit, it was wonderful, but I was like, how does anybody understand that? Like, how do are you just like doing it phonetically? Do you not understand what? Because I don't understand what Shakespeare says ever. So I'm like, I would be memorizing the words, but I would have no idea what it meant. You right. know what I mean? And Shakespeare is like that. But this is the thing. You're, it's not that they're classy. It's that I'm a nerd. Because I really do enjoy Shakespeare. <laughs> so I like reading Shakespeare. And I have since I was younger, like, you know, like 12, 13. So I take any opportunity I can to try to understand what I'm reading. And some of the plays and, you know, they come with um, companions and like booklets you can read. Or now that we have the Internet, you can look up what words mean. Like in the um, in the Richard III thing that I was just saying, he uses the word lowered, L-O-U-R-E-D. But it really is just an old fashioned way to say lowered. Okay. Like clouds were lowering upon our house. So it's just like anything where like you, it, it, there's a word you don't understand. Just look it up. Mm, yeah. But I, what I like about the Richard the Third thing, I know I'll tell you the whole thing just to explain it. So the whole thing goes <laughs> now is the winter. Uh, wait, let me put my hands up. Okay. <laughs> let me see those my hands, eyes again. Wait, let me see. I'm just assuming assume the position. Yeah. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the sun of York and all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths, our stern alarms changed to merry meetings. Oh, no, our bruised arms hung up for monuments, our stern alarms changed to merry meetings, our dreadful marches to delightful, delightful measures. Grim visaged war has smoothed his wrinkled front. And now instead of mounting barbed steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber to the lascivious pleasings of a lute. So what I like about that is that whole thing is a fucking burn. It's basically like you went to war and then you came back and now you're just hanging out with chicks and doing nothing. Like, it's such a burn. And I love that. I love figuring stuff like that out. Like, just old time burns. I don't even know anything about Shakespeare. I'm so, I, I'm so How stupid. How about this? You are definitely not. It is such a weird and specific <laughs> thing to enjoy. And how about this? If you want to know about Shakespeare... We will pick a play. We can read it together. Oh, we can just do the monologues, whatever you want. I will send you anything, talk through anything. We will find things out together because I'm still learning. There's so much to learn about this dude. Let's just pick something and figure it out. I mean, I got to be honest. I feel like a shitty teenager right now because I'm just like <laughs> inhaling the joint being like, can you just do my homework for me? Because I don't want to read. I don't want to oh, know. I just I'm like to me, I'm like, that's some smart people shit. <laughs> 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 like, 
this Let image me get my is smarter beautiful. friend to do the homework for me. This image is beautiful because all I see is the coolest person in the world oh, and the biggest cool. nerd. And the biggest nerd in the world. No, no, no. Like, that's how that dynamic plays out. Is you're cool for fucking ever. And then I'm like, hi, I'm 43 and I'm memorizing Shakespeare. No. I'll tell you right now. It is not cool to be uninformed. But here's the thing. It's never too late. And this is, this is why I truly, I love learning for that reason. Because there's so much that I don't know about. But if I just decide, like... I really want to know what the fuck is going on in the ocean. I could not name, aside from the fish that I used to catch and eat in Alaska, I don't know shit about fuck when it comes to fish or what's happening in the ocean <laughs> or where they come from or what's going on with tuna. I don't know anything. So like I might decide like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to put it on my list this year. I'm going to learn as much as I can about fish. And then when I have a, like a free moment, instead of just scrolling endlessly on Twitter, I look up some shit about fish. To me, I'm going, man, I should have not smoke cigarettes with my <laughs> friends outside of the school while the Shakespeare classes were happening. It's just, How it's going to be my lot in life, I guess. I am going to say right now, cause you know, I, I do an Uber list every year, right? So I do a list every year where I put a hundred things on that list that I want to accomplish within that year. And usually I get through like 50, 60 of them. Yeah. And there are things that are big, things that are small. We'll do a list this year of things you want to know about because we're already starting with Doctor Who. Yeah, we're already going to do some Shakespeare. We'll just put like 10, 20 things that you're just like, I, I wish I knew anything about that. Yeah. And then we'll just fucking figure this shit out together. We'll learn together. It'll be fun. You, you how about you just tell me the smart people things and then I'll <laughs> cross it off the list. I will make the list for you. <laughs> Can you just do the entire assignment? I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope it's not. I hope that's not triggering for you as a smart person. Should we do some movies? I don't okay. know. I can talk forever, but let's do some movies. No, we can. Um, so let's talk a little bit about our theme, Danielle. What is our theme? Our theme is Christmas assholes. <laughs> Favorite Christmas assholes. And we're not doing holiday assholes for a reason, right? Yeah, meaning like um we're incorpor we're not incorporating all of the different right. ways to celebrate the holidays. And that's because I think the you get more assholes at Christmas. Christmas is a very assholeish holiday. <laughs> there are not is. a lot of Kwan not a lot of Kwanzaa assholes. Yeah. I mean there are probably you know? some Hanukkah assholes, but they're just charming. So yeah. Christmas assholes is a specific kind of asshole. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree to that. And honestly, like there's so many Christmas movies, especially now. Holy shit. Can I just say something like when we were going through sort of the selection process of what movies we wanted to talk about? I was like, do you remember when we were kids and there was like five Christmas movies and they were all from like the 1940s? Now it's like there's so many fucking Christmas movies. There's like you know, an entire channel of like Hallmark movies or like a cottage industry for Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah, there was a lot of movies we could have picked from. There are so many Christmas movies. And so I think we did a pretty good job, though, of really showing some assholes, some real Christmas assholes. And I'm Premium. really excited to get into it. So my movie for this week for the theme of Christmas assholes 
is a movie from 1978. It's called The Silent Partner, and it was directed by Daryl Duke. Think of where to run. Think of how to hide. Think of how to escape The Silent Partner. The Silent Partner was actually a remake of a Danish film from the 1960s. It's called Think of a Number, mm. which I actually think was based on a, no- a novel, a Danish novel. So there you go. It was written by the writer-director Curtis Hansen, who did L.A. Confidential and 8 Mile and Wonder Boys, and he's done a lot. And it was directed by Daryl Duke, as I mentioned. He was this Canadian filmmaker who primarily worked in TV. Like, I think he did the Thorn Birds. Do you remember that miniseries? Mm-hmm. Um, With Richard Chamberlain? Yeah, that was a mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge deal. It was like the original Fleabag or something like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a hot priest. We got a hot priest here, folks. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> there was a lot of original flea bags i'm just throwing that out yeah. but we like flea bags so whatever we'll do a whole theme <laughs> that's a whole other theme folks but daryl duke also made this i just have to say he made this amazing movie called payday with rip torn which is like i think is probably one of the best movies about country music that was ever made i just have to really? shout it out i mean that'll be Ooh. extra credit for folks if you want to track it down but yeah it's awesome um So one of the interesting things, actually, I think the most interesting thing about The Silent Partner, besides the fact that it's a, you know, cool movie or whatever, is that it was one of the earliest movies that was made in what's called the Canadian tax shelter period. So essentially, this was like an era in Canada in in their film production history when the Canadian government basically allowed anyone who wanted to invest in a film in Canada to duct 100 percent of it on their taxes. Okay. And I, and I know that there are like several places in the U S that kind of offer this thing, like Georgia and where I'm from does it. And it's mostly a way to get the film business, you know, to the state, but like the one hundo thing I think is especially enticing. (laughs) As you can imagine. (laughs) And a little desperate Canada. (laughs) Well, and like, so naturally there was this huge increase in Canadian film production in this era, presumably because lots and lots of people wanted like a really nice big 100% tax break. Right. And presumably lots of them like didn't even care if the movie was good or not. They just are <laughs> like, I'm a doctor. I need somewhere to put all this extra money that I have. So because of this, I think that this is why a lot of the movies that came out in this era were like weird curiosities or like there's a lot of like fun, bad, like genre films, like a, mm-hmm. AKA like action and horror, essentially. And there was also so much investment that some people who were investing in these movies, these movies actually never came out. And that's eventually why it ended, because there was oh so my- much investment that they were like, well, let's just like make a movie, but we don't even care if it gets distribution because we made the movie and we're getting we get the tax break. It doesn't matter if anyone sees it. Um, that is such a blatant and bold scam. Yeah, it's such a scam. And, and it's the kind of scam I would 100% participate in. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, yo, that's a pretty tight scam, actually. Let me just go, you know, 
give my money to some people making some kind of movie and it may not even get shown. My name won't even be attached to it. So we all win. Right. On the other side of it, there were actually like some pretty legit filmmakers that came out of this era, including people like David Cronenberg and Ivan Reitman, um, Bob Clark, who made Black Christmas and A Christmas Story. And there was actually some pretty legit great movies that were successful that were made in this era, including The Silent Partner. So... The Silent Partner is essentially a heist film, and it stars Elliot Gould. 1970s Elliot Gould plays a teller in a bank that figures out that someone's trying to rob the bank and then decides that he's just going to steal the money himself. So after that, which happens pretty early in the film, um, the original thief, who is played by Christopher Plummer, comes looking for his money and then it sets off this like giant cat and mouse game that plays out for you know the rest of the movie so that's the synopsis of the film Mm -hmm. so let's get back to 1970s Elliot Gould so (laughs) the silent partner was like a few years after he was in the long goodbye which is probably one of his most famous roles and he was definitely one of my favorite actors who was working in the 70s and he was in so many good movies it's kind of impossible to imagine. He um, put in the work. He put in the work. Definitely put in the work. And, I mean, let's get serious. Whenever I see pictures of him from this era, like, he's just like that curly-haired cutie. He's wearing a suit. I mean, I declare I simply must be horny for, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, he's also, he's got this... This thing that I think actors used to have, maybe some actors have it now, but he is a good actor. He plays his part, but he's very much himself in the process. So all of his little like nebbishy kind of movements and his like talking under his breath and his, you know, his asides. And it's just so fucking good. Yeah. It's so chewy. I like it. Also, let's get serious. I also love him in the Ocean's Eleven movies when he's that like old Jewish man with the giant glasses and necklaces yeah. and robes and shit. I mean, come 100%. on. 100%. He's so funny. He's been smoking cigars forever. Do you remember when we went to the New Bev? What were we seeing? Were we seeing the long goodbye? And hmm. he was there? Oh, yeah. I, I don't remember what we were seeing, actually. It might have been he Silent Partner or it might have been... Oh, uh, what was it? And now I can't remember. I think it was a double feature because he was only there for the first one. But it might it might have also been No, that was the Burt Reynolds double feature. We've seen a lot of movies at the new bib. But he was there. <laughs> and like he's like in his eighties, I think now. But he started walking into the building and I almost lost my mind. Oh my god. And we've already discussed how I am around usually around celebrities. Like I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Elliot Gould in, in his eighties. I almost lost it. Yeah, it's like Beatlemania. Like, people fucking love him. And he's still he's so, so awesome. But, you know, in my mind, all I have to say is that I just, like, want the kids to know that he was all of this. He was not just Monica and Ross's dad, okay? Yes. He had a full life. He had a, he had a hot period. It maybe continues to have a hot period. Like we, maybe he is the the new Paul Newman in that way. He was married to Barbara Streisand. Like he's lived a life, y'all. Oh my God, he's 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 the man. 
And I just need people to know that. But anyway, let's move on to like the real obvious Christmas asshole of this movie. And it is crazy evil Christopher Plummer. So that is good to know, because I wanted to ask you who who do you think is the asshole in this movie? There's an obvious asshole, but there's also a subtle asshole. There so is a Christopher subtle Plummer. Asshole. Yes. We can go so with that. Yeah. The obvious asshole is Christopher Plummer simply because just imagine, imagine Christopher Plummer in the sound of music and then imagine the complete fucking opposite of that. Okay. So this <laughs> is like Christopher Plummer in this movie. He is a bank robbing, misogynistic, murdering, sadist, santa claus impersonator <laughs> right like it's a mouthful but it's true it is i mean he is bone chilling in this movie like i mean papa von trap has soured in this movie oh and like i mean the whole time you're thinking like elliot gould really fucked with the wrong dude like he stole the wrong guy's money which yeah that feels like it could be a theme for another episode like I stole the wrong guy's money or something. I like, fucked that around really... and stole from the wrong person, <laughs> <laughs> which is why don't steal money. But um, <laughs> what I think is the most interesting about the Christopher Plummer character, though, besides the fact that it's like he's a Santa Claus impersonator with a gun. I mean, it's just like, come on. Oh yeah, the Santa Claus outfit with a gun in a mall. <laughs> yes, which I will get to. I got a lot to say about that mall. But Christopher Plummer's character in The Silent Partner is like, um, he's the kind of villain that I think showed up in a lot of like 70s and 80s movies, which is this, he's kind of this like, his character to me is very celluloid closety, which yeah, if you haven't read that book or seen that documentary, I urge you to. It's very interesting. I had the same feeling because I was watching this and I'm like, all right, they don't ever explicitly say what's going on with, you know, gender, sexuality, anything, which kind of is cool to not say it. Sure. He's just a person. He's just a sadistic, (laughs) misogynist Santa and get on board. But they also had these very, what felt to me like very intentional beats. Like he had on, clearly had on lashes. He clearly had long nails. And then, you know, when we first see him, he's wearing like the net tank top and, seemingly wearing a lot of makeup like it was it was a look it was a look that that draws attention yeah and he's cruising bathhouses and he's you know murdering women i mean to me i think that you know with the 70s and 80s especially the early 80s there is a lot of like urban crime films like you know and also a lot of films that take place like in the big city which in those films i think the fear of the big city was obviously gay people, trans people, um, just city people who are in it like SNM or, you know, sort of like that type of thing. So it's like, you know, I think that that was sort of a trope that was happening in that yeah. time. But I think it's interesting because honestly, like at one point in the film, Christopher Plummer is actually in full drag and yeah. he enters the bank again after he's like really in the weeds with the Elliot Gould character and you're the whole time I'm just thinking like how just how many old lady drag villains did Norman Bates in Psycho actually give us I mean this is like a total rehash right just a wealth an endless well to draw (laughs) it's like so insane and I have my own thoughts about that when it comes to I mean I could write a thesis about 
queer narratives and yeah. murderous women and, you know, using the, you know, the kind of outward appearance of a woman to commit crime and murder. But I, I will write that thesis instead of talking that thesis right now. Well, you know, I want to hear it, but, you know, I, I do understand that I I have moments of this podcast where like, should I do a grad school level lecture right now? But no, I'm glad that you kind of get that. Because I was kind of thinking that one. Every I've seen this movie several times, and every time I'm like, "God, that character is so interesting." But he's like, in spite of this tropism or whatever it is happening, he is like a legit scary character. Oh yeah, his face is just always so cold and crazy. So yeah, I mean, he's a Christmas asshole when you get right down to it. Um, but you know, one of my favorite things about this movie though is is that it takes place in the mall, as we mm. talked about. And not only was the mall at Christmas time, like a staple of my childhood, I'm sure it's, you know, if you're a certain age, especially, the mall at Christmas time is like the biggest thing in the world. It's like every oh, everything goes insane. Chaos, yeah. beautiful chaos. <laughs> I actually worked in a mall for several years and working there Same. during Christmas is like the worst moment of your life. Hands down. I was a barista at a mall coffee shop. Yep. And during Christmas, I cannot tell you how many times I would just look at my coworker, go into the back and just weep. Just sitting <laughs> on a bag yeah. of beans weeping. It was so stressful. And we were just serving coffee. We were even like going to get shoes or running back for clothes. It was stressful. Oh, yeah. So I worked at Macy's um, and I also worked at a marketing research place. You know how like there is um, the people in the mall that have the clipboards. They're like, hey, you want to take a survey and you make like five bucks. I worked in that place for several years, even after college. So I am. I worked in the mall a lot during the holidays and it was the funny, the funny thing is, is that I can remember several like pre-holiday training sessions at multiple locations that I worked at in the mall where the vibe was essentially, okay, everybody, it's the holidays. Expect everyone to be a complete dick and expect everybody will try to rob the store like that was the two yeah. things that i was, that was like it. always told right and and that's why we had the cry protocol because yeah. the bosses were like we get it if you just need to cry because everyone who comes in here is going to be a shithead <laughs> it's like, like everybody's totally going to be mean it. and everybody is going to try to rob you so just know that you know how old are you 17 that's cool just don't get scared. But honestly, <laughs> I have such a fondness for the mall. I mean, I'm always going to love movies where people work in the mall. Just like there's a always. part in The Silent Partner where Susanna York, who plays Elliot Gould's like co-worker slash love interest, asks him if he like wants to go to lunch with her. And then she just walks into the mall. And <sighs> here's my assessment. And this is based on, you know, my experience you know for a fact that they were not going to the food court, okay? Thank you. They were fancy, and they were going to probably like Ruby Tuesdays or Morrison's Cafeteria or something. Like there's... Ground round. Yes. there. (laughs) There's no way that they were like me who like would go eat at Sbarro on the loading dock 
so I could smoke a cigarette immediately after I ate. So I just would Beautiful. eat the pizza on the loading dock and then the minute I was done, just like light up a cigarette. <laughs> so I cannot tell you how many meals, quote unquote, I had that was just a Wendy's Frosty and French fries. <laughs> and I would dip the fries in the Frosty and that counted as a meal for me. Yeah, exactly. For most of my 20s. <laughs> exactly. And also the meal that I had was based on who I knew that worked in the food court. So if it, yes. if I if I knew the person that worked at like the subway, we would trade food, then that's where I was mm-hmm. going to eat. It was never or my choice. Was, it was always what who was, was free. cute. And who was, who was cute. cute and what's free. And what's free. But I actually remember like the days when you could actually smoke in the mall. And me um, too. Big that was a huge thing. Like I remember people would smoke cigarettes while they were like walking through the mall. It's insane. Oh. My grandma would always like pop a squat on those planters in the middle that were like also benches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just like fucking chain smoke. And that seems to make sense to me. If you're going to be in a mall, relax however you need to relax. God, especially during Christmas. Are you joking? Like Fuck, just light up. <laughs> take that entire pack and just take all the cigarettes, put your hands around them and just smoke 20 <laughs> at a time. Just do it. But it's so funny because I was like, the minute I, I saw that part of the movie where Susanna York's like, I'm going to lunch now or whatever. Like, I was like, oh, of course, they're going to go into the sit down place in the mall because mm-hmm. they, they're the bank people. And it was like the bank people, the jewelry store people or like the makeup counter people in the department store were like the upper crust Of the mall employees. The hierarchy of the mall employees remain the same everywhere. Exactly. So if you're if you have to dress professionally to work in the mall, then there's no way you're slumming it in the food court. You're going to the sit down place with like the Tiffany lamp (laughs) in the booth or whatever. You're going to a place that also serves alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Elliot Gould in this movie again, simply because His interactions with Susanna York are very interesting. And this is why I think possibly he might be the like subliminal asshole that you spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. So you have the obvious Christmas asshole, a.k.a. Santa with the gun. But then you have Elliot Gould. The interesting thing about him is that as much as we love him and think he's charming in pretty much any caper that he's in in this movie, it's like, okay, get let's get it straight. He uh, is also a criminal he's trying to rob a robber which is not you know not great right and then he treats the Susanna York character as you know at the beginning of the movie he's very much like interested in her and she's dating somebody else in the bank who let's get serious is not as cute as Elliot Gould but at and the same, also a scumbag also a scumbag <laughs> and you know and, and as much as like, my heart goes out to this woman because I was like girl I'm, I make poor choices like this a lot like I get it yeah. but like clearly don't be with this married guy especially when you have Elliot Gould knocking on your door but Thank then you. at some point he pivots into only needing her around if she can help him act out his crime, which is annoying right. as shit to me. And yes. he does this thing that I I hate so much. <laughs> like if you think about this this move just in general, not within a context of mov- a movie, but if you think of it in general, you'll be like, how fucking dare you? Like when he goes to kiss her as a way to get her to not see something uh 
that he's doing some fucking mm-hmm. bullshit that he's pulling and i'm like that motherfucker i can't believe I that shit fucking hate it and i also hate he does this as well he does that thing that i fucking hate if somebody is building you into a fantasy life that they have no intention of following through on get out of there yeah yep. do not sit around for well you know if I had my druthers in the future, we would be on a boat in Catalina and get out. <laughs> yeah. Do not use me to build your fantasy life while you go fuck this other lady or fuck that guy or whatever. Yeah. Get yeah. out of there. Get out of there. I mean, it's almost like, come on, this like the you, more fantastical it becomes, then you got to You got to tell yourself, is this the one? I don't know. Yeah. I need some realism. Need some you can't heart. build me into a fantasy and then treat me like shit in reality. That is not how that works. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, ultimately, the thing about this movie. So, I mean, I think the reason why The Silent Partner, it's like one of those movies that shows up on a lot of like film people's lists often. And, you know, I think that's for good reason. I mean, because honestly, it's a very tense exciting movie where you basically get to see someone plan out how they're going to rob a bank, which is like a thrill always. Yeah. Right. Like I love the methodical parts of it where it's sort of like, Oh, so now we know how the button works and now we know how, you know, that's, that shit is endlessly fascinating to me. But, but then you, know, you also get to see the the other, the back end of that, which yeah. is like, what do you do now? Like you fucked a bank and a criminal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 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 there's a lot of moments where you're kind of like, I know that we've said in the past, like, don't mail yourself a knife. But also it's like, don't have your cleaning lady clean out your refrigerator in case you decide to hide a fucking key to a safety deposit box in a jam jar. Okay. Oh, like, <laughs> like a lot of that is like, the oh shit moment where your plan might fall apart is always something innocuous like, oh, it's literally an old woman that fucked up my entire life, right? I, <laughs> because I did what something. I love about that scene is that she was like, Why? Well, I didn't do anything. Everything was old. She was like, fuck you. You're gonna come in here with this attitude. Exactly. I didn't do anything. I threw out some old jelly. Get get out of here. <laughs> you have a cleaning lady, right? presumably she's cleaned out your refrigerator before maybe don't do that because your entire fucking plan hinges on this and now you fucked yourself so there you go and since you're a bastard in the love department i guess you kind of deserve it right at at, at any rate i mean honestly i'm not generally suggesting that people watch something like the silent partner because honestly do we want to watch tense and stressful films for the holidays? But, you know, like some people are twisted, including myself, and would probably watch someone get murdered by a fish tank while the chestnuts oh. are roasting on the open fire or whatever. Look, if you're in my family and you know about that movie and don't show it, you are not invited to open gifts. Like you better <laughs> be bringing that out at some point. I know. I feel like if I if I told your grandma, hey, we're going to watch this insanely tense crime film for the holidays she'd be like cool like we're good does the leprechaun series have a christmas version (laughs) let's bring that out is there a christmas chud let's get on it (laughs) so i guess basically what i'm saying is the silent partner is my miracle on 34th street happy fucking holidays don't (laughs) don't don't leave keys in the refrigerator and don't cross the wrong motherfucker i'll just say it
I am so with you. I had never seen this movie and I fuck, I loved it. Oh, good. We've got Christopher Plummer's definitely shopping at Glossier. <laughs> we got Elliot, someone asking Elliot Gould if anyone wants to smoke a number. <laughs> you have a young John Candy. Love it. His first early like big screen appearances. Love it, love it, love it. You have malls. You have a creepy Christopher Plummer peeking through a mail slot, scaring the shit out of you for the next five days. You're going to think about that image. (laughs) And more than anything, there's a character named Louise who wears T-shirts that I would pay a month's rent to to own right now. Louise's T-shirts. I could not believe how hilarious they were. Oh, yeah. And it was just so in that 70s way that T-shirts were done, like get some puffy like adhesive and just put them on there. Her shirts were so weird. And she would go to work, new employee going to work wearing T-shirts that say bankers do it with interest, penalty for early withdrawal. I mean, it was some 70s shit going on in those shirts. Everybody loves a bank themed sex joke. And I'll post this to our Instagram, but I actually made the bankers do it with interest shirt (gasps) and I wore it the other day. So I'll have to post a picture of me wearing it because I've always loved those shirts. I love the puns. Give me a fucking break. And I was like, I don't know if a professional company is making these shirts, but I'll make one for myself and I'll just wear it around the house and no one will get it unless you've seen the silent partner. So there you go. And you know what? Merry Christmas to you. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're up. What's going on? All right. Millie? Mm -hmm. Millie, don't you lose my number. (laughs) (laughs) You're not anywhere that I can't find you. Okay. (laughs) My movie. For Christmas Assholes is Scrooged, released in 1988, directed by Richard Donner, written by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue, and based on a Christmas carol by Charles Dickens. I can't get the antlers glued onto this little guy. We've tried crazy glue. Have you tried staples? I love this movie. I was surprised at how well it held up, but we're going to get to that in a minute, because first I got to run through some some credits here. Yes. We have... A movie that is directed by Richard Donner, who directed Superman, the 1978 Christopher Reeve Superman, uh, The Goonies, way too many movies with Mel Gibson. Yeah, he did this movie between Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you need to cut back on that Mel Gibson. But who, <laughs> I mean, maybe he did know, but we didn't know at the time. But we now didn't. we do. And you have no excuse <laughs> working with him. But what I also love is that Danny Elfman did the music. And in my childhood, I knew him as the lead singer of Oingo Boingo, which is a great new wave band. If you haven't listened to Dead Man's Party, go right now. Um, He's married to Bridget Fonda and he did the music for some of your absolute favorites. He did the music for Nightmare Before Christmas, Edward Scissorhands, and he used to date Kim Gordon in high school. Wow, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, I didn't know. So it's like already starting out with a blockbuster roster. Then you add Bill Murray, who's Frank Cross, the main character, a younger Alfred Woodard, who plays Grace, the beleaguered secretary. Um, 
when I was a kid watching this, I knew him as Buster Poindexter, but then I found out that he was David yep. Johansson of the New York Dolls. 100% <laughs> me too. I didn't know Buster Poindexter was like a personality. I thought that was like, that's who he was. He was that dude. You've got Carol Kane. Uh, this movie is nepotism on speed. Like almost all of Bill Murray's brothers are in it. His brother, John Murray, plays his brother in the movie. And his brother, Brian Doyle Murray, plays his dad. Mm-hmm. So it's just full of Murrays. <laughs> and it's based on A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. So we already know the, the plot of that. But there are so many cameos in this movie right off the bat that were like would blow would blow your mind if you were an 80s kid um like lee majors john houseman did he do the paper chase yes the paper chase dude right yeah so john houseman like why do i know about the paper chase when i'm seven it's good though (laughs) it is good return to the paper chase it's like i watched the shit out of paper chase uh robert goulet mary lou retton jimmy (laughs) farr and my personal favorite uh, you've got Ann Ramsey in there, who you know is Ma Fratelli from the Goonies. Love that. Her yeah. husband, Logan Ramsey. <laughs> but my personal favorite is the Solid Gold Dancers. I love Solid Gold. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> I mean, talk about a cornerstone of my childhood, <laughs> of our childhood. Yeah. <laughs> so this, it's just fun from the get-go. Because the basic setup, the way that they kind of you know, work with or, or reconfigure the, the Christmas Carol narrative. You still have the three ghosts, ghosts of Christmas past, ghosts of Christmas present, ghosts of Christmas future. But it centers around Frank Cross, Bill Murray, who is a TV executive, a ruthless TV executive, who fires someone on, <laughs> on Christmas Eve, essentially. Um, he fired uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, who plays Elliot Loudermilk. And his runner throughout this movie is so funny. I forgot how funny it was. Um, and I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's very funny. And he's just kind of, he's a stressed out exec who's putting on a live version of the Christmas Carol, but he's doing in that, in that 80s smarmy way of like, you know, we're going to have solid gold dancers. We're going to have like... You know, he's it's it's just kind of ratcheted up a little bit too much. And he is just a dick about it. He right off the bat shows a commercial that he made for this <laughs> that is so terrifying that it genuinely kills somebody. They have a heart attack watching it. And he's just he just goes for the jug. He's that guy like he doesn't care. He's all business. He's a president of this TV network, IBC. And that is all he cares about. So when he's visited by his dead former boss, who tells he's he's the portent that tells him basically you're going to be visited by three ghosts and he freaks out and he calls his ex-girlfriend who he, you know, hasn't been with for 15 years. And she comes running and it's Karen Allen. What did you think of? Um, so, you know, John Forsyth plays the the old boss. And yes. Were you like, did you watch Dynasty? My my mom was obsessed with Dynasty. Completely. Yeah. My grandma was on that show. I mean, she could not get enough of it. Could not. Get, so, yeah, it was wild that they chose kind of an aging John Forsyth. He's kind of a hot old man, though. I mean, I know he was in the fucking zombie makeup and shit, but like outside of that, like I'm like, John Forsyth was like a hot old man. I mean, All right. That's that's a bridge too far for me. Oh, come <laughs> we're, on. we're not talking about a hot zombie. This was a safe space. <laughs> I I will see you, but I will not raise you. Like I I see you. <laughs> okay, I'm not fair, raising you. Fair enough. 
it holds up. And I think part of the reason it holds up is that it is so dark and it was technically not really a children's movie, but most of us saw it when we were children, but it is dark. It goes to some deep recesses of the soul. Um, There are some absolutely iconic moments of this movie, like when Bill Murray's handing out Christmas gifts, going over his Christmas list with his secretary, and he's only giving out bath towels and VCRs. Robert Mitchum plays his fucking boss. Yeah, man. Robert Cape Fear Mitchum. Oh, yeah. He has had a wild career. He was doing like anything he could in the 80s. One of my faves. That's a, that's Just a, that's so a thing, though, about old actors, man. Was there like 70s and 80s stuff? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot. So when he's visited by these ghosts, you've got, again, David Johansson as the ghost of Christmas past and like the old New York checker cab and visiting Frank's family. And his dad gave him a veal for Christmas. And his mom was just like pregnant and smoking and kind of out of it. And it was bleak. Mm-hmm. It was bleak as shit. And I didn't remember it being that bleak, but it was kind of sad. Um, the second ghost is Carol Kane. She's the ghost of Christmas present. Absolutely kicks his ass. <laughs> Through the whole, <laughs> their, her whole part in the movie is to kick his ass. It is phenomenal. There is a great runner that kicks up in each of his ghost stories about a woman who works at the network who keeps getting hurt. Um, <laughs> That's very 80s. That is like one of the, the things that I remember so much about. They used to play the trailer for Scrooge. I swear to God, it was like on the front of every VHS tape that we rented for like two years where it was yes. that the w- the one scene where she gets hit by the giant pole and is like, can we get a nurse? And it was yeah. that, that thing that I just remember so much about the trailer for Scrooge. And also the part where David Johansson walks through the door and then Pearl Murray does it. And he's like, I love that bit. I, yes, that shit cracks me up to this day. Especially considering how actually dark this movie is. It is like to get somebody like to have Carol Kane punch out Bill Murray with a toaster is fucking it's great. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Beautiful. The physical comedy is great. And the third ghost, I will say, used to scare the, the ghost of Christmas future scared the shit out of me because it's this giant hulking like caped kind of grim reaper style skeleton Mm -hmm. and the way they present it like it just kind of shows up in the corner of a television and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's big bony arm comes out and it's like eddie from iron maiden and like it just freaked me out so you you mentioned danny elfman and the funny thing is is that i know that Danny Elfman did the music for Beetlejuice. And there was that moment of that movie where you're talking about where he opened the coat opens and it was kind of like a Beetlejuicey Tim Burton moment. And I was yes. like, I wonder if there's a connection there, but I guess not. I guess it was just Danny Elfman was involved with both, but maybe that was kind of what was going on at the time in movies. I think it was definitely what's going on at the time, but this Scrooge was nominated for an Academy Award for best makeup and hairstyling and it lost to Beetlejuice. Oh, weird. Okay. <laughs> I did not so it's know definitely that. Like That's interesting. Something going on in the air around this time. People, were, I think, I think it was that people were just using like the special effects that they had at their disposal to the max. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> we want to see like realistic clay slash like rubber FX work <laughs> involving hey, hey, dead hey, souls and monsters and shit. 
Hey, uh, Brian, can you get me some real ghosts? Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so, and I love, you know, again, they go through the ghost of Christmas future who just basically shows him his own funeral and shows Claire turning into a piece of shit because she listened to his advice. And Alfre Woodard has such a sad, sad story. And I can't get over how much it still affects me all these years later. I Um, I gotta tell you, that's like the one thing that I think I wish this movie did a better job at is that I really wanted more from that like Alfre Woodard storyline. Like I... I, I wanted to know more about her, like her family life. I mean, like Mabel King was her mom, which is amazing. And then as we just figured out, Regina King's sister played her daughter. Raina King. Yeah. Played. And I, because yeah. he just like, Frank really treats her like shit in the first half of the movie. And you do get these moments of like, you know, she's trying to take her son to the doctor and he's obviously got trauma and like i just wanted more to that story completely and i actually thought i don't, I could be wrong about this but i read something after seeing this again about how there might have been more and that they cut it out of the movie but i'm not i could be wrong about that i feel like they kind of did the thing that i don't like which is I was thrilled that they used people of color in the movie at all. Yeah. But then they make the story center around violence or trauma, and then they just do not engage with it Yeah, that much. I mean, to be fair, they do give the little kid kind of a big moment, but it's not enough based on the background they built. Because, you know, the background is that Alfred Woodard's, hus- Alfred Woodard's husband was murdered in front of their son. Yes. And it's made it's made into a joke about her wearing black for a year. And I'm like, that wouldn't that wouldn't fly nowadays. And it kind of didn't fly then. <laughs> but, but, he, but he was not. OK, this is maybe asking too much of Hollywood, as I typically do. But I feel like he should have been nicer to her when he yes. had had his moment, when he had, had his aha ghost visiting moment. Like, I felt like he should have first went back to her and said, I didn't let you have the day off to take your son of the doctor i'm a dick and i'm sorry yeah. like it was not enough <laughs> yeah he should have instantly just dropped a pile of cash in her lap and said take the rest of the year off <laughs> i'm sorry i mean i'm just gonna say it i mean justice for grace justice for Alfre Woodard's character in this film. Justice for Grace. And I I have a hard time watching these scenes anyway because, I mean, I I guess I understand where it comes from, but I cannot, like, I don't watch slave movies. Yeah. I, it's very difficult for me to watch black children in movies where they're in peril. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Yeah. And so this kind of snuck up on me mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to watch this little kid suffer. Um, but yeah, I think I have different feelings about it as an adult. But it didn't it didn't dis- dis- detract from the movie at all for me. But it, I definitely, as an adult, feel like I wish they'd gone deeper mm-hmm. into that storyline and given given Grace a little more of what was was what was her due. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a a Bill Murray sort of movie in that you can tell where he's there's so many parts where he's ad living and just kind of being Bill Murray. And I love all that. Like, yeah. it's all fine. It's all fine. There's so many good 80s moments. He His drink, Frank Cross's drink is a tab, is a stoli with tab. 
Stoli and Tab. <laughs> they should have sent him to hell simply on that drink. <laughs> Just gut rot. Of Al Green and Annie Lennox sing Put a Little Love in Your Heart, the kind of theme song for this. Um, it's just good. It's a good Christmas movie to me because it is absurd and terrifying. And the things that you laugh at are about the the disaster of the human condition. I gotta tell you, I'm I'm glad that you picked this movie simply because this was the first time that I saw Scrooge since like 1988. Right. And I think we saw it on VHS or something when it came out <laughs> because my parents were never taking me to first run movies. Are you kidding? Like in that case, you probably saw it in 1990 because that's how long it took to get videotapes of the video. You're, you're completely right. I mean, this shit was like all you kids in <laughs> your warp speed with like the first run movie showing up on Netflix or whatever. Like, no, you had to wait forever to see a movie on VHS. I haven't seen it since VHS. And it's so interesting because when I was just kind of going on my Google hole uh, about the movie, it, it there was a lot going on with this movie. And it's funny because it really feels that way. Because, you know, when you're a kid, I don't think you really, you know, obviously my mind goes to funny people screaming, physical comedy. That's it. Right. Uh, nothing too frightening. But, you know, as long as there's the redemptive you know, moment at the end, the balance is restored. But as an adult, right. re- watching this film, I was like, wow, this movie is kind of dark. It's so dark that I don't think it completely resolves itself at the end. Like, I think right. it gets so dark that that part where he basically like has this moment on live television where he has this like network moment where he's like, hey, I'm talking to you in the camera, blah, 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 blah. And he kind of, I guess that was actually an ad lib that Bill Murray mm-hmm. did that just kind of like went off the rails a little bit. And uh, you could really sense that. Like you could really be like, wow, what is he saying exactly? I know that he's feeling feelings, but what is what he's saying making fucking sense, you know, to like the narrative of the story. And I mean, that's, I think, what's interesting about watching movies again, especially after a long time, because, yeah, I think that this movie was not I, I think I was sort of led to believe that, you know, much like a lot of movies from our childhood, especially Christmas ones or holiday ones, like, you know, we find it again and it's a classic and they get showed on TV a hundred million times. But I'm like, wow, this movie is actually way more fucked up than i ever thought and it was it is kind of a cult classic movie because it didn't do that well when it came out yeah especially considering like the power the star power behind it and the you know the people who were involved um but i think it is kind of shocking to realize what how the darkness of this movie now like i think that the whole premise of the fact that he as a child didn't have a life and he lived his life through television. Yeah. So all of his memories were things that happened on TV shows. So yeah. bleak. Totally. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. I, I was surprised at the avenues that it took that sort of just like, didn't it just touched on this really traumatic scenario that didn't factor in later. And that just kind of got resolved in like the basic way, which is that like, I have my big moment in front of all these people and everybody sings. So, right. Yeah. It's, and it's, and I know that like, I mean, 
everyone could probably just Google it, but there's like all this backstory about how it was made and the writers and like the director. So yeah, that should be. There was so much tension. It's yeah. kind of, and it felt like that when you read the backstory, you kind of realize that, oh yeah, it does feel like a movie where everybody was fighting and nobody yeah, was talking. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. It did right? feel like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Yeah. It felt strained. And, um, but that's also interesting in its own way too. Like it's, you know, like yeah. it's an, it's, it's definitely like an interesting movie to watch. Uh, after a long period of time. And that Christmas asshole, wow. One of the biggest. (laughs) One of the classics and just indisputable Christmas asshole. I guess that's it for 2020. Wrapping it up. Yeah, I'm so happy that we're doing this and I am so glad to be talking movies with you every week now. Me too. It's the best year. I mean, it's it's not. It's the worst year. Yeah. This is the best thing. Yeah. The best the thing worst about the worst year. <laughs> but uh, we really do wish you guys like happiness and safety. Yes. And all the things for the holidays and the new year. And uh, let's talk about the next episode, which is technically happening in 2021. Am I right? Yeah. Do you want to tell them the, the movies and then they can guess the theme? Yes. Okay. So the movies for our next episode are The Fly from 1986 and Seconds from 1966. Ooh, what's the theme? That's going to be a harder theme to guess, I think. I know. Because you think, you know. But you have no yeah. idea. No I'm kidding. You think you know, <laughs> but maybe, maybe not. I mean, I don't know. I mean, let's be let's be real. Our listeners are very smart, and <laughs> most of you at some point guess the theme on social media. <laughs> they guess the theme, or they give a better theme than what yes. we come up with. And I'm like, God damn, they have a better. That has theme. happened several times. We're like, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, maybe they should just do this show, right? I, <laughs> oh, I love Lord. it. So technically we're off next week, but we have a bonus episode for you going up on the 29th, but it's only on Stitcher Premium. So if you want to listen and you don't have a Stitcher Premium account, you should use the code SAW to get a month free and listen to us. Try it out. We are on social media. I saw what you did pod at Gmail if you want to email. <laughs> yeah. If you're like <laughs> really tired of your relatives or something uh, and you're just like, I need to email two podcast hosts. Just do that. Uh, we'll hit be there up. probably. You can hit us up on, on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. I saw a pod for both. So we'll see you next year. Thank you so much for being with us this year and helping us kick this off in a, in a good way. And we will see you next. See you in 2021. Bye. Happy holidays. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Ah. California, Colorado. (laughs) 10 seconds flat. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Lauren Elizabeth Brown. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media assistant is Taryn Matza. Our theme songs by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at iSawPod. And please listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 